0: Good morning, guys. Thank you so much for getting out of bed and uh, getting yourself here. Grateful that you're here this morning. Um, I want to uh, introduce you to a gentleman who is going to join us from here on out and also jump in next year. His name is Eric Camparini. So, Eric, just put your hand up. Eric and his wife, Christina, are new to Grace Bible Church, making it their home. And um, I'm just grateful you're here. Thank you so much. Yeah, grateful that you're here. Um, so you guys have to kind of him, help him see the ropes and, and learn the ropes here. Um, Eric, we'll get an, a, a notebook for you, um, so maybe, uh, if, maybe you can let him look on yours. We're going to flip over to the back and take a look at the six spiritual leadership disciplines that we want to focus on uh, here in, in Build just to remind ourselves about them every week that we're together. We want the men of of Grace Bible Church to unite around these leadership disciplines. And um, really what we, to to back up maybe and give a bigger, broader picture about what we're trying to do with the men at Grace Bible Church. Um, If you've been here for a long time, you you know this, um, but maybe it's just good sometimes to talk about it and point out and point out the obvious, what we see going on underneath our noses every day. But what we've really tried to do as, as elders is, is take a layered approach to developing men. Um, rather than coming up with one thing or one program that becomes the platform that we will do everything that we want to accomplish in a man over the course of his life and his ministry in a local church, what we try to do is, is approach it by layers. Um, so does we, we've designed a layer that's at the kind of at the ground floor that really calls all men of the church to it. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, and you call Grace Bible Church your home, we want you and Build. And Build focuses primarily on the layer of character in the man. We really want to focus on godly spiritual disciplines working well and fleshing themselves out consistently in a man. And that's really the ground floor. when you skip over the character of a man and instead focus on equipping him theologically, um, the kind of man that you equip theologically will either bless you or come back and bite you. Because if you have a man who's not taking care of his character, uh, he's not becoming disciplined in spiritual disciplines in his life, and you arm him theologically to know a lot of stuff, that guy can come back And persuade a lot of people theologically, but his character is off the rails. Um, So the the primary first thing that we want to focus on is just that every single man needs to start now on the path of working on these kinds of leadership, spiritual, biblical disciplines in his life. Um, And so we start with the heart, uh, meaning that we bring our hearts before the word of God in order to know God, to worship God, to love God, to delight in God, to fear God to know Jesus Christ and obey him. And so that's at the front end. If you don't have that at the front end where men are always being pushed towards that and, and, and flexing that spiritual muscle in that way, what do you get? What do you have? What would what would you be? What would I be if we came to the Bible or we came to church and we approached one another but we really weren't growing in our love and our worship of Jesus Christ? Um, and the word of God is a primary tool for that. Uh, to help us in that. So we really want to focus on discipline one. We spent the whole first part of the year just focusing on the heart, uh, disciplining ourselves uh, with the Word of God in order to know the God of the Word and worship Him. The next place of impact, the spiritual discipline, is then the home. Uh, We want to be able to to make the first line of impact on the people that we live with. It doesn't matter if you're a single guy living with roommates. It doesn't matter if you're a single guy and you're living alone. Use your household in a way to make an impact on the, the people that are there. Uh, it's good practice for if you get married someday, if you're a single guy and you're not married yet, uh, it's good practice for you to be making an impact on the people that you live with so that um, the first line of, of uh, ministry that you have are the, are the people, the souls in your household. You um, don't want to play leapfrog over your heart. You don't want to play leapfrog over your home just to get to ministry in the church, which is the third discipline, which is what we're talking about uh, right now in fact this morning we'll uh, later go over our second part of the of what the gospel ministry looks like in the church the the what what times what you what you often see happen is look what church is not desperate for men to step up and lead um, every church needs that kind of a man and when you see a guy who comes into your church and he looks like he's got all kinds of promise he's maybe he's energetic maybe he's even got some um, you know, he's just got the right personality. He appears on the surface to be a, a really likable guy. And he, he seems to know his Bible in some decent ways. One of the first things that a church can do is just grab that guy and say, meet with the college students. Just go after those guys. And then they let him do that. Without really ever testing first and finding out, well, what kind of a man is he with his heart? How is he shepherding his own heart? Is he... Does he know how to disciple his heart and, and discipline his heart to come to God in his word? And uh, Maybe they haven't even checked and see what his household relationships are like. And then the next thing you know is it takes a, a little bit of time down the road, and he's leading a ministry, and then his character explodes. And now you've got a problem because now ministry has been impacted by his uh, deficient character. Um, And so you don't want to play leapfrog over your heart. You don't want to play leapfrog over the ministry or over your house, your household relationships, just to get to ministry. One thing at a time. And we want to take a whole year with guys and just walk through this together. Be in discussion groups, you know, together and uh, talk about how's it going in in your time with the Word. Um, What's your household relationships looking like? We want to just talk through these things and uh, work on them together. The fourth discipline is the character qualifications. And I mentioned this to you last time. We we primarily focus you men towards the deacon qualifications. That's where we'll be heading next after we deal with the ministry. We want to point you to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 through 13, I think, or something like that. Uh, Focus on the deacon qualifications. Um, We're not trying to keep you away from elder qualifications. We're just kind of pointing at deacon qualifications primarily, elder qualifications secondarily. All of those qualifications—being above reproach, being a one-woman man, being a man of dignity—all of those find their root back in either discipline one or discipline two. What's the man like before and discipline three? Um, what's the man like before God? What's the man like in his household relationships? Does he is he a one-woman man? And what's he like with people? Is he dignified? Um, does he have self-control? Um, All of that is just, so so discipline four on the qualifications is really another way of summing up the first three um, together, so we're going to focus on those. Discipline five is the hermeneutic. What we want to do by the end of build is we want to equip you men with um, some basic rules for interpreting the Bible. That's what hermeneutics means, a, a system or a set of rules for interpreting the Bible, and we'll just introduce them to you. Then The next layer of leadership development that's after BUILD is H3. Um, How many of you guys have taken H3 before? Several of you guys. Um, I want to encourage you, if you've done well in BUILD this year, you need to be in H3 next fall. Um, And what Smed will do with you there in H3 is he will hammer you on hermeneutics and exegesis, applying those rules of interpretation to the text, to an English text of your Bible, for the purpose of coming up with a lesson, a sermon, a Bible study. Um, And it's great. Um, So the hermeneutic, the fifth discipline for us in build, really kind of teases you for more of what you're going to get in H3. Um, And the last discipline, discipline six, is just the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. Um, You could be at any church and implement these disciplines, but you're at Grace Bible Church, and so we want you to understand what's... um, put before us as a church in regards to our vision. Um, Our vision is really kind of a a Trinitarian vision. Uh, We want to focus or set our sights on our vision on the glory of God in the cross of Jesus um, for the transformation of life by the Holy Spirit. So we want God the Father to be glorified. We want to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and the changed life that the Holy Spirit brings about. That then leads us to um, a threefold purpose. So We've got a vision and a purpose. The threefold purpose is gospel-driven. We want to build up, um, no, draw in, build up, and send out for the gospel. So that's what we're focusing on as a church. Just trying to keep the Bible and a, tr- uh, a full view of God before us and a gospel purpose before us. Um, so build is that bottom layer of leadership that we uh, leadership development where we're just calling all of the men of the church and say, "Look, man, you got to be godly, man." You need to, and it's going to keep your Bible right in front of you, and it's going to make you focus on your household relationships, and we're going to start to push it towards ministry in your small group. Guys, you need to be thinking now about being, attending a small group, being a part of a small group, but the the thought on your mind should be, um, God, do you want me to do more than just be a member of a small group? Should I someday be leading a small group? And you should talk to elders about that. And, and we would love to talk with you about that. What would what a path look like for you to move from being a member of a small group to a guy who's going to someday be actually a leading one? We would like to put you on that path if that's what God would have for you. Um, so we want to just focus you on these spiritual disciplines. As I mentioned, that next layer of leadership is H3. Not every man who does build goes into H3. It's like you know, build kind of reaches from one end of the church to the other. H3 is the next layer, and it kind of grabs... The men here who have done well and focuses on those. The men who have done both of these two layers of leadership well, a uh, leadership development well. Over time, sometimes they go back and they do build an H three a couple of times. Um, that's not uncommon. This is not like um, you know the fourth grade that once you do it and you do it well, you never go back to the fourth grade. Lord willing, you know, for some of us, the fourth grade was the best two years of our lives. So, um, but you know, we just go back and forth on these, and we just keep doing, build, and keep redoing H3. And what we're finding, what we found over the last year is that we've got men now that we need to disciple at another layer and level. And that's men that we need to disciple at the shepherding level where the sole subject we talk about is biblical shepherding. And so we've got build H3, and over the last year we came up with shepherdology, the study of shepherding. And what we do in that ministry, I don't think I've ever talked to you guys about this yet, what we do in that ministry is we focus on three things about shepherding. One, the portrait of a shepherd. And the way that you find out what a portrait of a shepherd or what a shepherd is like is you go to the elder qualifications in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And so all we do with the men every other week, we meet uh, twice a month, is we take one qualification from First Timothy 3 and we spend about 20 minutes just studying that and talking about what that is. Uh, we've made our way all the way through 1 Timothy 3, and now we're starting in Titus 1. And when we're done going through it in Titus, we're just going to go back into 1 Timothy 3, and we're just going to look at those again. We're just going to continually cycle through that uh, all those qualifications to focus on the portrait of a shepherd. The second um, kind of prong of uh, shepherdology is uh, pictures um, of shepherding, biblical pictures of shepherding. What we want to do is we, we go to passages in the Bible that talk about what biblical shepherding is so that men in the church don't think that being an elder is attending a board meeting and making financial decisions only. We make a lot of financial decisions as elders, but we're not like a a secular board of a company or of another organization where we just show up once a month. We don't really know each other maybe that well, and we all just need to agree on some financial decisions. We're shepherds who need to understand what shepherding is. And so we focus in shepherdology on um, pictures of biblical shepherding. We're just going to the Bible and we're looking at Jesus, the, the great shepherd. We, we look at um, uh, what Paul is like. We look at what, uh, in the Old Testament, what David was like. Uh, we're just looking at what the Bible says about shepherding. The third prong in shepherdology is the practice of shepherding. So you've got the portrait of a shepherd, pictures of shepherding and the practice of shepherding at Grace Bible Church. We just talk as elders, almost all of the elders are in shepherdology, and so what we do is we just talk about, together with these men, here's what we've experienced shepherding at this church. Here's what we've noticed about what it takes to shepherd each other as elders. Um, An elder meeting is a great opportunity for shepherds to get together and shepherd each other. If We've got seven elders and two elder interns right now, so nine men. If and we say this all the time, if nine men cannot shepherd nine men, then what on earth are they doing thinking they can shepherd 350, 400 people? So an elder meeting is a great opportunity for elders to just learn how to shepherd each other, care for each other, admonish one another, encourage one another, build each other up. And so we focus on shepherding us, and we talk about what it means to shepherd the church. Um, so we just share those kinds of things um, with the men. We talk about the things that we've learned about being shepherds together. Um, so layers. You understand what I'm talking about? Uh, when we first started doing build about 10 years ago, we thought build would do it all. That was my thought. Build will just accomplish everything that we want to accomplish in a man. Elders will come out of build. Um, and what we found is, n- no, we just need to focus on one thing. Build does one thing really well, and that's just focus on our character and just keep pushing us and, and prodding the men forward to think about character. And then Smed came, and we implemented H3, and then we kind of thought H3 would, yeah, that will do it. And we're like, no, we, we we want to add another layer, because we're really missing the shepherding component. And then even after shepherding, what we have at Grace Bible Church is we have Grace Bible Institute, which is um, basically seminary-level training. Um, Josh Kelso went through it the other, you know, just finished it a year or two ago, um, it's 100 credit hours. It sapped four years of his life out of him uh, that are gone that he'll never get back. But he's a changed man because it was really good. Um, um, but any of you who have been to seminary know that uh, you, you come out with a limp, kind of, you know. You just kind of walk with that. Um, anyway, but with seminary-level training, and the kind of man that we want to go into that is a man who has is implementing everything that Bill is talking about and is, is going after, who thinks... Uh, theologically well and, and hermeneutically well that H3 talks about and he's a shepherd. That kind of guy should be in a seminary level training in a local church to be equipped uh, at, at higher levels to be able to lead and pastor and preach and teach and, and care for people. So, that's what we're after at Grace Bible Church um, and you're a part of that at the, at the very foundational level and what you're doing here is um, Everything else above it and or beyond it, however you want to look at it, depends on the kind of man you become here in, in this ministry. So, with that being said, we should pray. Start our morning off and we'll break up into small groups and uh, our discussion groups and we'll talk together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these men. Lord, we are grateful. The elders are so encouraged that there are men that would want to come and think about these kinds of things and and order their lives around these spiritual disciplines, these leadership disciplines. And we pray, God, that today you would uh, take our efforts, our feeble efforts here, full of weakness. Um, They're incomplete efforts. But we pray that you would take these efforts and you would bless them with your power and with your spirit. Um, and and help us to become men that really understand what gospel ministry is, what it requires, what it entails, the blessings of it. Um, And so, God, take our our study today and do with it what pleases you and glorifies you most. And so, Father, thank you, again, just for these men and their desire to be here, to make um, sacrifices, uh, early morning hours to be here. And God, may we draw closer to you and may we know your son Jesus better. May he, uh, may our affections rise and be stirred up for him because of our time in your word and because of our fellowship with one another. Uh, may our wives and our, our kids and our parents and our roommates that we live with, Lord, may they be blessed because of what we are becoming in your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now as we look at uh, the life of of the Apostle Paul, we're trying to glean what we can from him concerning um, what gospel ministry is like. So as we are faithful in shepherding our own hearts before God in His Word throughout the day, and as we are faithful to shepherd the members of our household, bring bring a gospel influence on the members of our household... Then, as we step into the lives of people in ministry in the church and beyond the church, we're willing to look at the apostle Paul and say, "Oh, this is the way he thinks. This is the way he views people in ministry, and we want to learn from that and bring it in into um, um, our lives." So, Philippians two is where we're at. Just a reminder: Paul is in his first Roman imprisonment, the one that occurs at the end of Acts. The book of Acts. Um, He, it sounds like in in the book of Philippians that he's pretty sure he's going to be released soon. That he will, um, he just has to wait on a couple of key things to happen or be told him. Uh, Either he's been told your release is coming, and he's waiting to see how things go for him, or he hasn't been told yet, but he believes he's going to be told that. And we do know that Paul is released. From prison, um, he makes his way back with Timothy and Titus to the island of Crete, where he leaves Titus there to complete what is lacking in the churches there. That's when he uh, later uh, writes from I think it's uh, oh yeah, I just forgot where it was. He writes from Achaia someplace and and writes Titus to him. He leaves Timothy in Ephesus and he's out and about again. But he's not out for very long before he's arrested again in Rome. And um, church history tells us he was beheaded. But this is his first Roman imprisonment. What I want to do is, uh, last time we we did verses 19 to 24, and we looked at primarily Paul and Timothy together there. I'm going to read from verse 19 all the way to the end of Philippians 2. Uh, Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, are ready to step into your word, we pray, God, that you would come and guide us. Um, Lord, we do not want to lean on our own understanding, but we want to look away from ourselves as we look at your word, and we want to trust in you, and we pray for your spirit's help to understand uh, your mind in this passage. Help us to uh, look carefully at the Apostle Paul. Help us to look carefully at Epaphroditus. And help us to learn what gospel ministry is marked by, is made up of, and that it consists of. Lord, may it uh, make an easy translation into our ministry that we have at Grace Bible Church and outside of Grace Bible Church. So we pray that you would glorify yourself. We want to be good gospel servants to others. Um, so please form us into your image the image of your son, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Verse 19, Paul says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child Serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Um, so there, that's what we talked about last time. Uh, six ministry observations last time. I'll just run through them. You don't have to write these down. But number one, we talked about relationships in the gospel mattered greatly to Paul. Uh, the last thing you get as you hear Paul just kind of talk about his ministry situations he's in the last thing you get from there is that he's task oriented rather than people oriented he he is, is people focused and this is a guy who had a custom he had he had a plan he had a task every time he went into a city he he had plans he he had a goal to get to Spain i mean it's not that he's not goal oriented he's just all about relationships i mean but as he is driven by Jesus to go after the gospel, he inevitably runs through the lives of people and into the lives of people, and he cares about people greatly. Secondly, Paul sought the encouragement that comes from relationships. Paul was very eager to be encouraged by um, what he learned about how the Philippians were doing. And again, this is just a review from last time, from the part one. Number three, ministry has seasons of loneliness for Paul. Paul feels alone in Philippi, but he he feels alone in Philippi in this situation, not because there's nobody around. He feels alone because there's nobody of kindred spirit like Timothy with him. And he has a need to be surrounded by men. Whatever he was doing in Rome, he had a lot of freedom, we know, in his imprisonment. He was basically under house arrest. But people could come visit him. And we know that whatever it was he was doing, he was probably sending guys out to preach the gospel and go meet with these people and go do this and that. But Paul didn't feel like he had anybody at this moment of a kindred spirit like Timothy that he could send. so there are seasons of loneliness and you may never it may not be because you're alone that you can't find anybody else to, to be around. You just might not have anybody who's really like-minded in regards to gospel ministry. Number four, in ministry's difficulties, Paul was buoyed by like minded co laborers. His encouragement came from people who were like minded. Number five, for Paul, nothing could fully replace face to face ministry, face to face time in ministry. Paul, um, what you're going to see here is the first thing he did is he sent a Epaphroditus back. And then he wants to send Timothy if he can, um, as soon as he can. But ultimately, what's Paul want to do? He wants to go back and see them. He's not satisfied that, hey, Epaphrodite, go see how they're doing and just let me know how it's going. That way I don't have to come. Hey, hey Timothy, just let me know how it's going with him and then uh, then I won't have to come. No, he's like, I'm going to send all those guys, but I'm coming too. I want to be face-to-face with you. And lastly, Paul's hope and trust were not ultimately in relationships but with the Lord Jesus. The book ends on 19 to 24 is, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, I trust in the Lord Um, Gospel ministry relationships were held underneath by Paul. They were held underneath the Lord's sovereignty. I want to see you people, but it's all in the hands of the Lord. Uh, So he was dependent upon the Lord. Now, verses 25 to 30 for today. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and your minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, making his life—or uh, sorry, risking his life—to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So at this point in the letter, Paul um, felt an obligation to explain to the Philippians why he was sending back to them their messenger to him. Um, their intent appears to be that Epaphroditus would be sent from Philippi to Paul at Rome and stay with him indefinitely, as long as Paul needed. Um, and I think our passage here tells us that the, the primary need that Paul had was not so much money or support, but was like-minded men. He was, he was in need of that. And, and Epaphroditus came to, to, to fit that need. So while Paul waits to see how his trial goes, he sends Epaphroditus back carrying the letter of the Philippians to them, and he's going to send Timothy soon, as soon as he can, but ultimately he wants to be with the Philippians himself. Now, I wanted to give you a probable order of events concerning Epaphroditus, Paul, and the Philippians, because when you piece it all together, it helps you understand the situation. So you can just look at these bullet points, and we'll run through them together. First, the Philippians desired to minister to Paul while he was in prison. You can see this at the end of verse 30. Um, he risked his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. They wanted to serve the Apostle Paul. And what Paul means, we'll talk about this at the end, um, what he means when he says, what was deficient in your service to me, he's not saying to them, uh, I'm in prison, you guys owe me. And you're deficient in your service. And that's why Epaphroditus is here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to them, um, you guys saw my challenges that I have while in prison in Rome, and you took my challenges on as if it was your obligation to make up for my deficiencies. My deficiencies, you made them your obligations. My challenges, you made them your obligation to fill. You didn't even have to do that. They didn't have to do that, but they chose to do that, and so they wanted to um, complete what was deficient in your their service to Paul Epaphroditus was their apostle, um, in quotation marks, and minister to fulfill that ministry to Paul. That's the second bullet point, verse 25. He is also your messenger. That's the word apostle. It can be translated as apostle. And the reason that the NAS doesn't translate it as apostle is because they try to reserve that word for the apostles. Uh, Paul and, and the other uh, 12 that were um, with Jesus and um, Mattathias who was picked in Acts chapter 1, Um, But the word apostle has a flexible word range. That In certain contexts, it means the sent one of Jesus. In this case, it's used as the sent one, not from Jesus, but from the Philippians. So the Philippians had an apostle, and it was Epaphroditus. Um, And he came to serve Paul. Third bullet point, while he was with Paul, Epaphroditus became to Paul like a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier in the work of Christ. That's verse 25. Epaphroditus, fourth bullet point, risked his life as he tried to complete his ministry to Paul and he became sick. Verse 26, um, you had heard that he was sick. then the end of verse 30, um, he risked his life uh, to complete that service. Next bullet point, Epaphroditus nearly died in or from his ministry to Paul. Verse 27, he, he was sick to the point of death. Verse 30, he came close to death for the work of Christ. What happened next? Well, the Philippians grew concerned when they heard Epaphroditus was sick and was not able to minister to Paul. Okay, so wait a minute. They're in Philippi, he's in Rome. How did they know that Epaphroditus was sick? Well, evidently what happened is Epaphroditus did not travel alone from Philippi to Rome. He came with others, and as soon as he fell ill, the other messengers went back and told the Philippians, um, Epaphroditus then, next bullet point, longed for the Philippians and was distressed that he caused them concern. So he's sick, dying, and in verse 26, he's longing for them all, and he was distressed because now he knows that they've heard that he is sick. Um, this, this passage oozes with just lots of concern and love mutually everywhere, um, and that's this gospel ministry. It's very important, great passage for us to be in. Um, and then Paul sees this guy who's almost died on him. And now he longs for the Philippians and is concerned that he's distressed. And that's a word that means deep agony. He has great agony, Epaphroditus does for the Philippians. They, they know that I'm sick. I can't finish what they sent me to do. They know that. And now Paul's watching this. Now Paul has concern. Paul is developing an anxiety that he wants relieved. I don't want to be concerned about you anymore um, in that way. Um, So Paul became anxious. Um, So through Epaphroditus' longing and distress, Paul could see that there was going to be challenges that Epaphroditus was going to have to face with the Philippians when he went back. And that made Paul a little anxious to be thinking about. Next, God had mercy on Epaphroditus, and Paul, in that Epaphroditus recovered. Verse twenty-seven: God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, uh, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow heaped upon sorrow. And so then, after that, Paul eagerly sent Epaphroditus back to bring joy to the Philippians. Look at verse twenty-eight. Um, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice. Verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Um, He sent him back. Um, Again, Epaphroditus was probably supposed to stay with Paul for an indefinite period of time, and they would have been like, what are you doing back? Um, The Philippians were to receive Epaphroditus back with all joy. Verse 29, and the Philippians were, told, uh, were were to hold men like him in high regard. They were to highly esteem a man like him, even though his ministry objective was not completed. So there's kind of the story of what happened, with this um, setting involves. So now let's walk through five gospel ministry observations from Philippians, okay? Starting in verse 25. Number one, a servant in gospel ministry must fulfill many roles. I, I love verse 25. It, it gives you five different descriptions of one man in gospel ministry. The first three are what Epaphroditus became to Paul while he was with Paul. And it wasn't that Epaphroditus was these things to Paul already before he ever got there, but he became these things to Paul. The first thing he became to him was a brother. He's a spiritual brother through the union that they both have with Christ. Um, there's a family, familial relationship, and affection, a personal affection, an abiding friendship and companionship because of that spiritual family tie. Um, so to be in gospel ministry means that you'll be fulfilling a, a brotherly role in the lives of others. Secondly, he, he, uh, he was a fellow worker, um, a companion with Paul in the spiritual labor that Paul was in in the gospel. He was side by side with Paul, the apostle Paul serving. And, and, and really, to, for Paul to call anyone a co-laborer like this, or a fellow worker, uh, reveals Paul's humility. Because Paul is a, an apostle, I mean he is the apostle to the Gentiles, and yet how he describes this guy who comes alongside him is not a servant to Paul, but a fellow worker with Paul in the ministry. In Paul's mind, Epaphroditus was ever as much a worker in the gospel as Paul was. So Paul is a humble man. He's also a fellow soldier. That means um, that's the way Paul viewed gospel ministry, guys. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Uh, They were engaged in incessant spiritual battle together, spiritual conflict for the souls of men and for the glory of God in the the gospel ministry. I love uh, what Calvin said. He he says this in this passage To those who want to edify the church, that's what he's speaking to those who want to edify the church, know that war is declared against you. If you want to be one who serves in the church, just understand this. War has been declared against you. Uh, you need to have your eyes wide open about what it means to be a small group leader, about what it means to be a gospel servant in the church. If you're going to go preach the gospel anywhere, share the gospel anywhere, just understand that war has been declared against you. Um, you will. One of the things you'll need to be in gospel ministry is a soldier. And again, Paul's humility is on display. Um, In his mind, Epaphroditus was ever as much a soldier in the battle as the Apostle Paul was. So those are the three uh, different roles that Paul attributed to him. The last two are what Epaphroditus was from the Philippians' perspective. He was an apostle also, or a messenger. A messenger is a good term to use. You can use apostle as long as you make a distinction that he's not a capital A Apostle. What's what's the primary difference between them? The difference is who's sending. Who's sent? One are these men. Paul is a capital A apostle because he was sent by Jesus. Uh, He he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. He is has scripture coming to him. He says that uh, the mystery of the administration. Of of the church. It it has been given to me. God's grace was given to me so that I could reveal what the church was and how it should administrate itself, how it should function as the body. That was given to capital A apostles. Scripture flowed from these men. Epaphroditus is a little a apostle. Um, He is a sent one from another church. Barnabas was called an apostle in Acts, but he was not a capital A apostle. It's a Just understand what that means. When they use the word apostle, it it puts, regardless of whether you're talking about capital A apostle or little a apostle, um, there's an officialness to the title. It, It was somebody that didn't declare themselves to be a messenger from a group, but the group said, we want to officially send a messenger or an apostle. And so there's officialness in this title. Everybody understood what Epaphroditus was doing. Uh, nobody in Philippi woke up one day and said, where's, where's Epaphroditus? Now they all knew why he wasn't with him anymore and, and he was sent to officially represent them. Um, and he was a minister, verse 25. Uh, a minister or a servant sent from Philippi to Paul. Uh, and there's officialness in this term as well. Um, he was sent officially to officially meet Paul's need and what was Paul's primary need if you look at chapter 4 verse 18 you can see that the Philippians believed he had a need but I have received everything in full Paul said so again Paul comes from I'm sorry Epaphroditus comes from Philippi to Paul and evidently he brought a huge supply I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, what is Paul's need? Paul needed help from these churches. And what we're finding out right now in Acts 17, is that Timothy was constantly running back and forth from Philippi To wherever Paul was. When he was in Thessalonica, he came at least once, maybe twice. When he went on to Berea, perhaps he came again, we know, in Acts chapter 17. When he was in Athens, he went back and forth again. Um, Philippi had a very unique relationship. That that church there had a unique relationship with Paul. Paul would say to them, I think in chapter 4... Verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Um, They had this unique relationship. They wanted to support Paul no matter where he went. So, what is Paul's need? Paul needs money, he needs food, he needs whatever supplies that they can give. But our, our, our passage also tells you what he needs. Um, verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. All these other guys are seeking after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. And we talked about how that very well could be the guys back in chapter 1 of Philippians who, some to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Some people were just preaching the gospel to kind of rub Paul's nose in it that they could outside, free, but Paul couldn't. And Paul felt lonely. And so Epaphroditus was also sent to meet that need to, to bring a, a, a co-worker, a co-laborer, a co-soldier, a like-minded brother. So Epaphroditus was more than a money-deliverer. He was that co-laborer that Paul needed. So here's, um, a servant in gospel ministry must fulfill many roles. Guys, ministry... To you, if when you're involved in, in gospel ministry, and what we mean by that, I, let me tell you what I don't mean by that. That someday you become like an elder or a pastor, and finally you're in gospel ministry. You, right now, if you are in a small group, and if you're laboring to care for people in the local church, you are in gospel ministry. If you're taking the gospel beyond the walls of the local church in evangelism, you are in gospel ministry, okay? Gospel ministry at times is going to feel like family. It's going to be family. Brothers. And you get all of the joys of that, and you get all the pains that come with family. So gospel ministry is going to feel like family. Gospel ministry is going to feel like hard work. You're going to be a co-laborer. You're going to be a co-worker. It's going to feel like hard work. Gospel ministry is going to feel like combat Spiritual combat. Okay? Gospel ministry is also going to um, take on, at times, the, um, you're going to be like a bridge between two, two groups, like Epaphroditus was. He was a bridge between the Philippians and Paul. And so there's going to be times in gospel ministry, and it's not that there's conflict between the Philippians and Paul, he just gets to stand and represent the two to the other. And there's going to be times where you're in gospel ministry, you're going to do that. You're going to be able to be a bridge-like person. So a servant in gospel ministry must fulfill many roles. Number two, a servant in gospel ministry is burdened when his ministry remains undone. The Philippians had planned so well. They had a great plan. Epaphroditus evidently loved the plan. He wanted to be the one to go. He had a great plan. And it was not carried out. And he was burdened by this. Um, Verse 26. He was longing for you all in distress because you heard that he was sick. As we said before, others must have traveled with Epaphroditus and when he became sick with Paul, some who came with him traveled back to Philippi to relay the news to them. And so when Epaphroditus then found out that they went back and the Philippians now knew that he was sick, what does it say in verse 26? He was Distressed. That's the same word, I believe, that is used of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in agony. So he's dying, and then he's dying. He's dying that the Philippians know that he's sick. I mean, after all, he um, was sent officially to represent the Philippian believers, and now, instead of Epaphroditus caring for Paul, who's caring for whom? The prisoner, Paul, has to now care for Epaphroditus. And he's like, my Philippian brothers are going to kill me. This is not what we planned at all. It's not going the direction they planned at all. And Epaphroditus was probably the one who was most concerned out of anybody because he had people on both sides of him who potentially were disappointed. Paul, because the guy that he needs who's like-minded is about to die... And Paul's not going to receive the total benefit of why he was sent. And on the other side of Epaphroditus, who are the other people who are going to be disappointed? The Philippians. We sent you and you die on them. That's not what the plan was. Um, And that distressed him. That brought him great agony. um, Deep anguish. Emotional turmoil. And he longed, verse 26, for them all. He longed for them and was distressed. I think he longed to be with them so that he could clarify. I just want to tell you this is what happened. And Paul is watching all of this in this guy who's di- who looked like he's dying. Nice, maybe recovering. But Paul is watching this, the distress that this guy is in. And Paul wants to send him back and fix things. Fix things before anything even gets broken. He's going to cut this whole thing off at the pass, head it off at the pass, before it even has a chance to unravel. So they had a great plan A to carry out, right? And now God's plan A is actually being carried out. God's plan A, you know, God, we've talked about this, God never has a plan B. He has no need for them. Um, they came up with a plan A, And now they're discovering that their plan B in sending Epaphroditus back or having him back is actually God's plan A. And even though we know that God is sovereign and we come up with plans and we know that we should never really at one level have disappointment, you're still going to have disappointment in gospel ministry because you're going to come up with a plan to start something and see it through and you're not going to be able to finish it. And Epaphroditus is a good example here of somebody who's burdened by the fact that he didn't get to finish what he was sent to do. Um, gospel ministry um, has burdens in it from unmet goals and objectives. Um, Number three, a servant in gospel ministry may risk his life for the gospel. Verse 27 and verse 30. He was sick to the point of death. Verse 30, he came close to death. Paul writes um, this in such a way that it appears um, from his vantage point and anybody who would have seen Epaphroditus, that it appeared that Epaphroditus hung between life and death for a while. And actually, they thought he was probably going to die. They all seemed to believe that death was going to win out over life concerning him. Verse 30, He came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The Philippians knew that Paul was experiencing a lack in Rome, uh, a need, a deficiency, while he was in prison, and Paul's language reveals that they made Paul's deficiencies as a prisoner their own obligation that they wanted to meet. They could feel fill, uh, fill the needs that he had. In fact, they had to fill the needs that he had. And so, Epaphroditus is the one who sacrificed himself to come and meet those needs of Paul on behalf of the Philippians. And at some point, in picking up and going, he becomes sick to the point of death. Um, Perhaps when he's starting to feel badly, he has to make a choice. I'm either going to um, not finish this ministry or I'm going to neglect my health. And we know what he chose. Uh, For him, if preserving his health meant neglecting his service to Paul, um, then he chose to neglect his health. He did. Um, Self sacrifice is the mark of gospel ministry. Not self-preservation. This is not a command to go out and be foolish and stupid and not take care of yourself. But it is also certainly not um, the heart of gospel ministry that you constantly protect yourself from any ill that could come upon you. You have to risk your life at some points. Uh, Any of you who have gone on missions trips to places where... uh, Look, we're not even talking about people picking up stones and wanting to to stone you or kill you. uh, Like your life being at risk that way. But there are just dangerous things that can happen as you care for people uh, being sick. Um, So self-sacrifice is the mark of a gospel ministry, not self-preservation. Verse 27, the last part there. um, Sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and also on Paul so that Paul would not have sorrow heaped up upon sorrow. According to Paul, Epaphroditus' death would have actually been painful to Paul, bitterly painful to him. He would have been sorrowful and then he would have sorrow on top of sorrow. And what you get here is Paul just loves this man. Paul loves the servant, Epaphroditus. <coughs> Paul didn't want to have to endure his death um, and, and I think this is interesting. The way that he's talking about Paul, Epaphroditus almost dying and that he couldn't have that, he just didn't, want to, he, he didn't think he'd be able to endure that. Look at the way that he thought of his own death. Go back to chapter 1. Do you remember this? Verse 23. I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that's better. So when Paul thinks about dying and going to be with Jesus, he is okay with that. When he thinks about Epaphroditus dying, he doesn't want that. And it's easy for him to think that, thanks Tom, um, when it's somebody else. I, he didn't want somebody else to die. But he's ready to die. I just think that's an interesting kind of tension there to hold on to. And and none of this includes, it even talks about persecution. Epaphroditus wasn't dying because he was persecuted. He, was, he got sick. Um, so a servant in gospel ministry may risk his life for the gospel. Uh, number four, gospel ministry is full of mutual concern and love. This passage oozes with mutual concern and love between parties. Let me give you. Can I show you the different verses here? Here's here's the Philippians' concern for Paul. Okay, how do the Philippians have concern for Paul? Well, verse twenty-five. Um, they're going to send a messenger and a minister to my need. They're concerned about Paul's need. The end of verse 30, they want to uh, bring service to Paul. So the Philippians have a concern for Paul. That's the nature of their relationship. Paul has concern for Epaphroditus. Paul has concern for Epaphroditus. Verse 25, he is my brother, he is my fellow worker, he's my fellow soldier. He, He cares for Epaphroditus. Verse 27, God had mercy on him and also on me so that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. I didn't want this guy to die. Paul has concern for Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has concern for the Philippians. Look at verse 26. He was longing for you all, Philippians, and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So Epaphroditus has concern for the Philippians. The Philippians have concern for Epaphroditus. Verse 25. He was your messenger. Uh, your minister to my need. They, they they were concerned for him to fulfill that role. Verse 26, they heard he was sick. They were concerned. Verse 29, they were to hold a man like him in high regard. So the Philippians were to have concern, mutual love for Epaphroditus. And Paul obviously had um, mutual concern or love and concern for the Philippians. Verse 19, if you back up to the beginning, uh, I, I want to learn of your condition. I want to be encouraged when I learn from your condition. Verse 20, I I need people who are concerned for your welfare. Um, Everybody else seeks after their own interests. Verse 28, I, I need to be less concerned about you. He's not saying I don't want to care about you anymore. I've got anxiety about you and I want that anxiety gone. Paul, I mean, there's just mutual concern everywhere. Philippians have it for Paul. Paul has it for Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has it for the Philippians. The Philippians have it for Epaphroditus. And Paul has it for the Philippians. That's gospel ministry. That's gospel ministry. Everybody loves everybody else and is concerned about everybody else. Paul could have just wrote a little short note, Epaphroditus is better, and sent it off. But that's not what Paul is like. That's not what gospel ministry is like for him. Relationships matter to Paul, and Paul preferred the benefit that the Philippians would get from having Epaphroditus come back rather than him getting the benefit of keeping Epaphroditus. Every relationship was marked by deep concern for the other. Can you imagine your small group not having this? Where you don't really care about each other like this? There's not a mutual concern between members? Can you imagine leadership development in a church where there's not mutual concern for one another? Can you imagine an elder board where there's not mutual concern for one another? Can you imagine laboring together and taking the gospel out to a new place like Papua New Guinea. Can you imagine the team not having mutual concern for one another? It makes no sense, right? I don't know what made me think about this. Um, You're in a big class at the university or a community college. Nobody in that setting has mutual concern for one another. Students don't care about other students. And the prof, you know, if it's a big class, you're just a number. And it's not that everybody is uncaring and unfeeling. It's just how do you, it's just not what they're called to do. It's not in the job description to actually have love and concern for you. It's just to teach the stuff. And look, gospel ministry is not that way. It can't be that way. There has to be mutual love and concern for one another. So, a servant number one in gospel ministry must fulfill many roles. Number two, a servant in gospel ministry is burdened when his ministry remains undone. Number three, a servant in gospel ministry may risk his life for the gospel. Number four, gospel ministry is full of mutual concern and love. And lastly, number five, gospel ministry esteems men of courage and sacrifice above task completion. This is what Paul is primarily after in teaching the Philippians in verses 29 and 30. Verse 29 is a command. Receive him. He commands them, receive him, take him back. He is instructing them at this point. He's not just telling them what his plans are, but his plans end with a command. So he's instructing the Philippians. He's directing the Philippians to have one and only one response to Epaphroditus when he walks back into their fellowship. Receive him in the Lord. Look, uh, go back to verse 28. I've sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. So with the command to receive him, it must have been possible in Paul's mind that he could imagine that maybe they wouldn't receive him. But he's instructing them. He's commanding them to do it. So he's just taking it off the table. If you were thinking at all, if there's any room in your mind, Philippians, that you wouldn't receive him, receive him. Notice what he says Receive him in the Lord. Do you see that? Receive him in the Lord. Don't receive him in any other manner that you think might be appropriate. Receive him in the manner that is that, that matches the Lord, that, that's in, in alignment with the Lord. This receiving of him that they were to do was to not be their own version or kind of receiving their version had to be uh, the, the the reception that they had of him had to be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Was it possible that they might receive him back in a lesser way? Yeah, you're back, but I can't believe that happened. So whatever it is that Paul's doing here, he's heading something off at the past that he doesn't even want to sneak out anywhere to ooze out. Notice what he says. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Was it possible that they might receive him back with reluctance? Verse 29. And hold men like him in high regard. Another command. Another command. Was it possible that they might receive him back, but then just kind of put him on a shelf? No, they had to hold men like him in high regard. In Paul's mind, this was a teaching opportunity for them. It was an opportunity to keep the Philippians away from any unhelpful or even sinful response from Epaphroditus coming back to them before, that they, want, before they wanted him to. Verse 30, why did they need to hold a man like him in high regard? Verse 30, because he came close to death. That's why they should esteem such a one who did not fulfill their ministry plan, their ministry agenda. It's as if Paul is saying here, uh, look, your official delegate that you felt obligated to send to me to represent you as you met my needs, that one didn't complete his task. He didn't. But... He did sacrifice himself almost to death in his service to me. Esteem that kind of man. Esteem that kind of man. So what matters most to the Apostle Paul? A ministry agenda being finished or selfless sacrifice of a servant? For Paul, the the idea in gospel ministry that um, ministry plans had to succeed at all costs was on his mind. Nobody risked his life more than Paul. But that was not so that ministry succeeded at all costs. Paul shepherded the Philippians to think rightly about this man in the midst of their failed ministry plan. So what is Paul putting the spotlight on At the end of this. What is what's he putting his spotlight on in regards to gospel ministry? He's putting his spotlight on, he's wanting them all to draw their attention to character. The character of this man, the selflessness of this man, this man's willingness to sacrifice himself even to the point of death. He didn't finish what you sent him for. But look at his character. Esteem a man like that. Hold him in high regard. The bigger a church gets, the more you can esteem a man who has the ability to get things done. You understand? And Paul is looking and helping these guys in their situation look at character, not his ability to get things done. Getting things done is important. But Paul is putting the accent on character. So, gospel ministry esteems men of courage and sacrifice above task completion. All right. Any questions you guys have? Comments you want to add? So we've looked at these two sections of Philippians 2. You guys are quiet today. You agree with everything that was said? It's great. It's a good day for me.
1: <laughs> questions in the last statement.
0: Yes. The bigger a church gets, the more at least we can get to assume doing getting things done. Um, I don't know if you can come a little bit more why you
1: thought a size of a church makes it yeah. more likely that you would do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Something went on in my mind as I said that, didn't it? Um, and I didn't have that written down, so I was saying I went off script, so watch out. Um, heresy alert. Um, as a church, I think as a church gets bigger, um, my experience has been that it um, it, it begins to require um, more elders or some elders to, to plan and to administrate. And I think you can get caught up in those plans and that administration, managing things, facilities, ministries, good things, all things that are needed. When you're smaller and you're kind of, that doesn't just, uh, it's possible when, when you're small to be kind of a, an administrative micromanager kind of person and be program-oriented. It's certainly possible. But I think when you're thinking rightly, if you're able to think biblically about ministry, I think the smaller something is, the more, the less you're focused on having to really administrate and you're just able to kind of be together and it's able to be um I think I told you this time, I'm scared to use this word because I don't know what everybody else means by it, but the more organic it can be, just kind of ministry just happens more naturally. Um, The bigger things are, you have to order ministry so that things can happen naturally, more so. And so I think there's an inherent danger when a church gets bigger. I I feel it as we've grown a little bit, you know, and I think the elders do. um, I think you'd find yourself, I don't know, Tom can probably speak to this, but you find yourself having to spend more time behind the scenes on stuff than actually with people. or You feel tugged more away from people. And so I think that, and my observation has been as I've looked at big churches, that the man who's really, sometimes you just hire guys because you you're looking for a specific kind of guy, a guy who can get stuff done, who can manage things well, and whether or not they're really good with people or spending time with people may or may not be the Focal point at all. So I went off script on that. What do you think of that?
2: I, I was just trying to think of yeah, knowing that it was off script, I was trying to say connection <laughs> to 29 to 30
0: and 30. Yeah, I, what I would, the, the connection in my mind that happened is that Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't even say to them, it's okay that he didn't get done the ministry. What he says is, what should stand out to you is his character, the kind of man that he is, and um, that, that he would risk his life. And, and so I, I'm, I'm just wanting to... What the agenda today can be, look, just get things done. You know, there's a whole book on getting things done. And that's important. you got to get things done. Yeah,
2: yeah I think yeah. it speaks to the danger of, regardless of the side of the church, are you measuring success by the results you
0: see. It yeah. That's <laughs> well put. I like that. Mike.
2: You know, some of the roles that you're discussing about, couldn't deacons handle a lot of that administrative work whereas the elders could be left to shepherding the flock. Yeah. And yet they still have a oversight over what the deacons were
0: doing. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And, and so as the church does grow, then be looking for those men who with qualified deacons, that's right. A- and you know, you especially I think to the older men man who, uh, with their life experiences, maybe they're they're in a season life or now whether they're, they're retired and doing shuffleboard or horseshoes, <laughs> <laughs> but may entered into uh, the church administration.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's um, you're gonna you're gonna hear about that tomorrow as well when you get to service and working on that. And that's that's right. That we. We, um, as, as things do grow and as ministries do grow, we, we find ourselves in need of a lot more deacons. Um, and, and again, which points back to this layer of leadership development. Imagine if we weren't intentionally trying to put before the men of the church character, character, godliness of life, pursue the Lord through his word, know the Lord. That's not to say that men wouldn't become godly. I think some men would, many men would. But if you take out a, a ministry that's not intentionally pushing men in that direction, you're not going to see anything get churned out. Uh, you're not going to see as many men get churned out. So, at that level. Eric? Uh, but it just
1: seems that uh, it's not really minimizing the fact that Ryan talks about was excelling in what we foregone, that this book, really sets aside uh, any kind of uh, compulsion that you serve the compulsion of, of obligation, hmm. but rather to, uh, a uh, a change of heart that produces
0: the fruit. Yeah, that's good. I agree. That's good. Yeah. Paphroditus is ready to lay himself all out and uh, serve. Scott, yes, Jeff could, Jeff. could you re-explain why?
1: Dirty and specifically, mm. I, I misunderstood it or maybe I understood it and it didn't feel right what you said. Yeah. It says, what was not in your service to me? That yes. To me, like Paul is saying, what was deficient in your service was deficient
0: yeah. to me. Yeah. The, um, the, I think the, tra- and I'll have to go back and look at it. Um, some more, but I think that, that translation is um, I think it's misleading a little bit. Um, there, I don't think there's evidence from this that that they were under, that Paul put them under an obligation to care for him. And they were actually growing in being deficient in that service to him. And so Epaphroditus was sent to make up the difference. The way that you could read that is uh, you've been deficient in your service to me. And Epaphroditus was sent by you to make up for that deficiency in your service to me. And I'm saying I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I don't think that's a I don't think that translation does does it justice.
2: Deficient sounds too negative.
0: Yeah, it, it makes it sound like um, you had an obligation to me, it was understood, I put you under that obligation, and you did not fulfill your, your, your task. And that's not what it is. The Philippians, nowhere in Scripture, have been are represented that way in relationship to Paul. They are only represented as a people who were willing and eager to jump to serve Paul. And so it must mean something else. I mean, even as you read in Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter nine, and the Macedonians, who were poor, who's he talking about? Philippi was the main Roman city in in a uh, in Macedonia. Um, they were the ones who, out of their poverty, gave liberally with great wealth to Paul. They're only represented in Scripture as not being deficient in their service. So, what is it that's being said here? I think it's difficult to translate it. It's the idea that. Paul himself had deficiencies being in prison. And they took on those deficiencies as if they were their own, and they had to meet them. That's the way that I understand, I think, is the best way to get to the bottom of that. Eric. Isn't there another
1: passage where Paul talks about suffering, and what Christ's suffering was like?
0: Yeah, that's Colossians 1. It could be. Um, Colossians 1 Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's not that Christ um, did not suffer enough on the cross but that God has um, more suffering for his body which is the church as it ministers in this world. Um, And so Paul was making up for those as he suffered greatly for Jesus And, and perhaps there's a sense in that as well that the Philippians are making up for what Paul is lacking in his suffering as well.
2: So, so that, even in, in chapter 4, uh, when Paul was speaking to the Philippians, he said, you provide mm-hmm. your concerned for me, you were be concerned, but you had no opportunity. Um, yeah. So it seems like they've always been around, always been there, but didn't always have opportunities to serve yeah. um, or give in some type of manner in which Paul could
0: actually be helpful. Yeah. Think how slow the world operated at this point. You didn't have email, you didn't have text, you didn't have, I mean, you didn't have anything. So how did they even know? I mean, Paul had a need, and before they even knew they had a need, that he had a need, weeks would go by. And then once they figured out what the need was, how did they let everybody know what the need was? How did they get all the need that was put together? And how did they identify the person? And they had to take weeks to send the guy. I mean, there was months could go by before Paul, before his need was ever met. You learned to go without your need being met for quite a while. Um, So they lacked opportunity because they just didn't know how Paul was doing. Tom? You know,
1: Scott, I I think this is a parallel, and feel free to say it enough. uh, But I'm pondering the different applications of of what you said. I can think of times when the elders, you know, meeting, working through church church and there there were where there were ministries And we absolutely had to stop and pour a lot of time into dealing with the character issue in somebody. And, and, and as I listen to what you're saying, Scott, I'm just thinking, you know, this is so Paul-esque that he is, he is elevating the character of the person than the task, because <laughs> I can do the better. Because hmm. uh, I can be an efficiency actually. I, I want to get the task done. And sometimes God just puts things in a way where we understand standing
0: and Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a. <clears throat> I think that's a good implication from the text that um, gospel ministry is going to at times. Maybe another way to say it is: you're going to put ministry tasks and plans over here while you accent character positively and negatively. Deficient character, godly character. And I think all Paul is doing here at this point is is trying to end his instruction and explanation of why Epaphroditus is back by saying, I want the spotlight on the kind of man he is, not on the fact that he didn't complete what you guys all planned before. And um, that's an important thing to remember in gospel ministry, is just to keep the focus on, on character as you're going about your task completion. Um, so, anything else, guys? Got a yes. And I,
1: this is not in the text, but I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if this situation would be seen in the same light. What if the Epaphroditus was sent there and was unable to complete the task, not because he was sick, but because of something else? Hmm. Would Paul
0: have, like, how would Paul have like what, what, a, what a kind of thing? I, know, I Detained someplace, couldn't get to Paul, or...
1: Maybe maybe that, or maybe once they got there, <coughs> there was a distraction,
2: or did, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I, probably or not. I don't know if he would have, maybe his explanation might have been different, and this is all speculative, yeah. much, but... All of but but it's 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 a it's an interesting thought because what what does he highlight here about him that he risked his life he almost died in it so he it, this is a unique situation in which he because he almost died not because he had other kinds of uh, immigration issues or whatever good intentions good intentions but distractions. Uh, but no, he he was there and he, he was going after it and he neglected his health in order to meet Paul's need. And Paul just wants to put the spotlight on that. So it, it might have been a different explanation.
1: Please what if we send a team to P and in our goal is this team we want to see churches planted in these tribes, indigenous people leading the church. And, and say 10 years into this, the church is plant, planted and the country is closed and the missionaries come back to Grace Bible Church. Would we say failure or would we esteem their character for, for
0: 10 years fighting the fight? Yeah, assuming that for 10 years they were fighting the fight yes. and they were God the people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think you would esteem the people. Yeah, that's good. And. Yeah. My
1: thought, I maybe mean, it's the obvious thought that everyone's having. So I'm thinking, okay, so Zach and Cassidy mm-hmm. come back, and so I'm perceiving this incorrectly. I'd say, no, you can't come back to my house because they <laughs> live in the house. Because you messed up. Something went wrong, and it's yeah. your fault. But yeah. we should welcome them back right. and say, come back, the rooms are still there. You're wrong. welcome. And
2: right.
1: You did what God called you to do and it will be finished yeah. sometime
0: later. That's good. Yeah, these are good thoughts, guys. Good job. Good thinking. Derek. I'm thinking yeah. of
2: a GM where there's always a need when we never have enough service. And how to be faithful to exemplify character and push character while at the same time.
0: You've got to meet the need. We have got to meet the
2: need. We don't want 40 kids in the classroom. Yeah. It. Like to have a balance yeah. um, similar to this would it be um, when there's times when you don't have a teacher, we are going to have a big classrooms and stuff won't be, um, I don't want to say it's a gospel system, as uh, we can't be intention- as intentional with 40 kids as we would be with 15. Yeah. can usually be okay with that. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's I guess another implication from it as well, to think about gospel ministry that way. And and this does not pit, Paul's not trying to say, look, the holy thing here is character, and the unholy thing is planning, or finishing the task. He's not pitting those against each other. Because, um, again, nobody had more plans than the Apostle Paul. As you read through his letters, you find that this guy always had an agenda, and he was always running... He was always planning the next thing. He had a custom in every city that he went to, an an agenda, a plan of what he tried to do. Nobody planned more than this guy. But when it comes down to it, ministry is about relationships. It's about people. And you learn well from the most driven man in the world in ministry how valuable people were in gospel ministry. And he's putting the spotlight on that. And um, so... Plan. Plan like crazy. Recognize that your plans are going to fall through. Um, Always put the accent on people's character and the kind of servants they are. Um, So, yeah, you guys are giving good thought to this. This is really good. Anything else? All right. Well, you need to write down February 22nd, 2014, because we're finishing early. Okay. Is that a deal? All right. Doesn't well, we you
1: 14
0: minutes next time? No, no, it doesn't mean that. It means that I have only given back a part of what I've taken from you for the last year. So, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity just to look at this passage, to consider and contemplate um, gospel ministry. Thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for even Epaphroditus, a man that we will someday get to meet Um and uh, Timothy, the life of Timothy as well. Lord, we pray that we would become men who um, are driven to see the gospel expand in the lives of the people that we serve with in our church and we would be driven to see the gospel go beyond the walls of our church, that that, Lord, we would always keep at the heart of our gospel ministry people and their character and that our own character that we would want to also put the spotlight on it as well as as just as Paul did. Lord, help us to think rightly about the ministry as we be, try to become more disciplined in what it means to minister the gospel to one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, men.